welcome to episode 9 of Stories of Strange Women. We're your hosts, I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley-Martin. And this week, we welcome Caitlin Doherty, who is the author of the new book, From Here to Eternity, which just hit number 9 on the New York Times bestseller nonfiction Yay. list. Congratulations. A follow-up to her first book, When Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, which also at the New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. She's a she's the host of Ask a Mortician, the web series. And if you don't know that, you should check it out. Uh, she owns a, a funeral home called Undertaking LA. They're on Instagram and social media. Check them out. And she is um, the creator of Order of the Good Death, mm-hmm. which is a group of kind of death professionals. De- death professionals. And they focus on death acceptance and how they can make you know, in search for the good death, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, to help you find your own good death mm-hmm. um, and what that means to you and um, opening up different modes of burials and um, different options for people. Yeah, and in this day and age, there are many options and there are many professionals out there blazing a new trail or going back to the traditional ways that we handled our dead. Mm-hmm. And if you read Caitlin's books and follow her on social media, you'll get that from her. But there are a whole slew of people out there, there's mostly a, women, yeah. interestingly enough, who are leading this movement. I mean, there's a burial designer to, yeah. so to, to, make, you, to make clothes that are you know, earth-friendly and also um, you know, quite stylish. Yeah. But there are a slew of professionals out there making death a better 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 place yeah uh, um so and you were saying you were you you found a swedish what was it oh yeah i mean they, these for these these people are opening conversations there you know people are talking about it and as a result um it is seeping into our daily lives and i think making life better because we are you know, we, you and I have always known we were going to die. And yeah. It's going to be terrible. Always been aware. Yeah, <laughs> always, right. unfortunately. And we are um, on medication. And, um, which but, is why we're so upset. We're all, we're death obsessed. Yeah. yeah you could say that. Yeah. And we have been on a search. I think all this, all this work we do, you know, you with the Morbid Anatomy Museum, us with the, you know, the museum and um, me with the, you know, death in children's literature and writing about death um, are on this kind of quest. Or even well before that, when we were, you know, publicists in the early 90s and handling, you know, dark artists, <laughs> music artists. <laughs> she mentions Depeche Mode and yeah. Cure and Morrissey. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in our spare time, we were making f- short films about death. Um, yeah. You know, Solo Mio and, and um, Pet f- Best Friend about... Um, pet funerals yeah um you know and the, like i said solomio about touring grave sites we were always just interested how how people handled it how they accept it yeah um, and, our, and then the feature film script that we that i wrote that we're now bringing revisiting back, yeah 92 or something yeah started with good morning yeah so um, we're it's... still trying to deal with it in every medium but you, you, you found a few companies that, yeah, you know, were doing... Was, I, I mean, I'm, as you were saying, you know, you know how we always, we've been, you know, obsessed with it. Um, it was terrifying because we, we saw it from one angle. And that was, you know, the Catholic um, traditional embalming funeral home 
you know, layout, um, shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Yeah. The body disappears and what comes back, it's rock hard and doesn't look like you're, it's in a gown. The person that you, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's unsettling for a child to be exposed to that and just not, no way to process it. There's no talking up. There was no open discussion. There Mm -hmm. was no, um, what happens to the body? What, where did, where did grandma go mm-hmm. when, when she left the hospital room mm-hmm. and then reappeared in this quote unquote home, mm-hmm. uh, funeral home, um, that's nothing like a home. It's just creepy. Mm-hmm. But what changed me really was going to Mexico for your book. Yeah. Um, for your books. Yeah. Um, and seeing the way they celebrated the life of a person that had passed away and it was beautiful and colorful and merry and you know there people were just in celebration mode and 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 it was uh and it's respectful we went to the island of nisio yeah and um that's kind of ground zero for day of the dead Mm -hmm. and it was um life-changing you yeah. said people were sleeping all night um candles beautiful lit, sleeping out on their relatives graves mm-hmm. had their relatives favorite things um that they enjoyed during their life and it was just a real celebration of a person's life mm-hmm. and it was you know, like i said colorful and beautiful it wasn't uh shrouded in mystery and um well that's what the, her new book is about where she goes around the world and you know, at the heart of all of these, what may seem to other, you know, people as bizarre to, if you don't live in that country, the traditions, they're all steeped in love and wanting to do the best that you can for your loved one and your community. It's a community effort. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, and in America, and this is, you know, goes back to, I don't know, that like you said, the, uh, we were talking about the Civil War and the embalming. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to, you know, a capitalistic corporation you know saying this is this is what's best for your fan this is you're doing the best for your family if you get this casket you're right. doing and in other cultures you don't really find that you don't find a price tag right um you know there was a pyre that you burn a body on mm-hmm. and you you know offer a pig to mm-hmm. the family yeah. and um you know and that's that's your giving mm-hmm. um that's definitely you know value given yeah some, i think my my uh, i know my least favorite um, traditions are American and mm-hmm. how we treat our dead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. before pre-Civil War, I'm fine because, mm-hmm. you know, your loved one's at home and our great-grandfather was at home. And But when you start getting into the whole funeral home, capitalism, mm-hmm. we're going to make them look alive and, you know, not even represent you know and speaking of the Civil War, too, I have to say that, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that um, Memorial Day was started because um, black slaves would respectfully bury Union soldiers because they knew they were trying to free them. Mm-hmm. And that's why we celebrate Memorial Day. They would um, picnic on their on their graves, um, you know, and, and, you know, sort of be with the peacefully with these soldiers. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, fascinating to go back and things that you've just been spoon fed your whole life to find really what what things mean and what they're mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. and what, which is why these books are important. And then, you know, when, you know, after that trip, uh, trips, I should say, you know, coming back here and then, you know, having that place, the museum, um, and 
being able to have a brick and mortar place where open discussion could be had over relics, over, mm-hmm. you know, things during, uh, over history. Mm-hmm. Um, death Cafe. And Speaking Death Cafe, death. John Underwood, who recently mm-hmm. passed away, started this um, uh, Death Cafe mm-hmm. where you can get together pretty much anywhere and uh, talk openly about death mm-hmm. over coffee or yeah. tea if you're in you know, a mm-hmm. tea drinking society and cake. It's always Did cake. you ever share the uh, coal miner story from our youth? <laughs> the, the coal miner that I did broke, not know. Bro- that had his back broken and um, he, he had a pin in his back uh, to keep his back straight. Mm-hmm. And so when our, this is the story anyway, um, when our grandfather and everyone went into the funeral home, the pin broke and the guy sat up. In, in his coffin, and his they sewed your, your eyes shut at that time, and so his eyes popped open. Mm-hmm. So he sat up and popped open, and everyone ran out screaming. So the, I think uh, the, those kinds of oral traditions well, that, that we grew and up and with. the Catholic iconography. Right, right. I mean, none the, of it is burning in hell. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we um, are still on on a search for the good but these people that you know that we've come across um are really opening up the discussion in this in the in the united states and um bringing other traditions back Mm -hmm. and into our culture um you know i'm seeing apps now that are helping millennials um do you know create their wills and trusts and estate planning and you know they're thinking about it yeah things are changing with the millennials because uh, and also cre- cremations have gone up to, uh, I think it's 50%, right? 50% mm-hmm. burial, 50 whereas they were just a mere fraction of... But, you know, um, that, the, and, and, and the, the argument is that it, 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 you, you enjoy life more mm-hmm. when you realize that it is not going to last forever. Right. And you appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and you make the most of it. Mm-hmm. And you don't squander it. Um, you know, and there's something now called Swedish death cleaning where, you know, you're cleaning your house and you real, you, you, you're, as you're going through things in the back of your, in the forefront of your mind is, what if I died tomorrow and my family and friends had to go through my stuff? A, what I don't want them to see. And do I need to have it around? Mm-hmm. And B, you know, what is good, just going to be a burden on them to haul it away? And how much is that going to cost? And just yeah. clean your house. See, with- I am a person that does not need to be reminded that I'm dying. Yeah. Because I never forget. It never leaves my brain, ever. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm laughing and having the best time, I'm thinking, wow, could this be the last time I'm laughing this hard? Or the- you know, and so. which is what Oscar said to me. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Uh, well, we were, in the, we were in the car, and her son, Oscar, um, my sister was cracking up over something in the front seat, and Oscar, her son, just said, look at Tracy up there laughing like she's never going to die. <laughs> so, obviously, that's genetic. <laughs> he is, he should be my son, is what we're saying. But um, anyway, so you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Yeah, and it's a real, it's a mindful conversation mm-hmm. about your options, about Caitlin's career, about her uh, pioneering. But our, our neighbor Betty and long, your Long John Silver story. Yes, which that's get also to, in there. Get to enjoy our contribution. Um, but please follow us on Stories of Strange Women on Instagram. Um, subscribe to Stories of Strange Women podcast on iTunes so we can continue to bring you this programming. We really appreciate the support. And share your own stories or nominate your own um, strange woman on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. 
And without further ado, here is Caitlin Doherty. Caitlin, thank you for having us. No, that would be the other way around. We're having you. Well, You're she's having, having us into I'm having you into my hotel room, yeah, into my tiny hotel room. This is our on-site in interview. So, uh, we want to talk to you about your uh, upbringing, your life, your new book, um, which we loved, and we loved your first book um, as well. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you grew up and what got you into this kind of leading this death revolution. Sure. That's a, do you want the, the long version, the short version? What yeah, version long. am I giving we you? Want, we want to hear all of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I Including grew up. Including the S&M clubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Hawaii. I was born and raised in Hawaii. I was born in the same hospital as Barack Obama. Different years. That makes sense. Obviously. Yeah. And I... Uh, it's actually, we have a creepy sort of connection. We both have, we were both partially raised by our grandparents from Kansas in Hawaii. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and they're, my grandmother and his grandmother lived a block from each other in their final years wow. of life downtown. Yeah. So basically, I'm the second BFFs. coming of Barack Obama yeah, is all I'm saying, is all BFFs. I'm casually dropping into yeah. this conversation. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Hawaii. I lived there until I was 18 when I moved to Chicago for college. And, and what college was that? University of Chicago. Okay. In Chicago. And what um, did you study there? I studied medieval history. Okay. And I didn't go... Actually, I wanted to... In high school, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a First Amendment, like ACLU mm-hmm. sort of attorney. That mm-hmm. was my dream. Um but <laughs> that didn't work out. Too, too little death, I think, in, in that, yeah. which I discovered quickly. Um, but growing up, Hawaii is a pretty idyllic place to grow up. Not for everyone, obviously, but just it's, it's beautiful all the time. The people are really friendly. And it's a good place, honestly. I, I think it's a really good place for a white person to grow up mm-hmm. because you're not the dominant race right. you're not the you know you're a minority but in a way it's not I'm not comparing myself to yeah, like right. growing up a person of color on the mainland but I think that it's important to learn really early mm-hmm. that how to how to interact with different groups of people and how did to you feel like did you feel isolated because of that I mean did you feel like an outsider <laughs> to a certain extent yes mm-hmm. um because white people are not particularly beloved in Hawaii and rightly so <laughs> they, right. they showed up and were yeah. awful as they are in <laughs> many other there. places um you know it's and it's like it's it's the one place where, or it feels to me like one of the few places in America where white people are rightly called out early and often mm-hmm. for their transgressions so I had to work that much harder to be accepted or to be befriended or mm-hmm. for them to trust me in some way as a good person and having to prove myself, I think is a great thing yeah, for yeah. a young white person to have yeah, to do. I think that's why you are where you are in life. Yeah, I, I think so, so too. I do think so too. And I think having to, um, and even like going around the world to look at death traditions, the fact that I have the relationship I do with tourism mm-hmm. and the idea of um, what it means to go somewhere and not be, boorish and obnoxious but right. like a sort of quiet welcome guest like wherever you're invited like the woman in the book that you set up with the iPad yeah there was a German woman who was just and, and, not, was Indonesia? not it was Indonesia who yeah. had not gotten the memo that yeah. showing up and being awful 
is yeah. is not the is not the way to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up that way. Um, I had a difficult death experience when I was young. When I was about eight, I saw a girl fall from a second story balcony. And presumably to her death, I didn't see the death certificate. Oh, wait, was this in the mall? This is in the you mall. You spoke this about in this the, in your first yeah, book. Yeah, this is in so the first book to, briefly, yeah. but it's kind of the the main death experience mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. And it made me very obsessed with death. Wait, I mean, how old were you? I was about eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it made me obsessed with the death of my parents, the death of my yeah. dog, the death of my friends, the death of my grandparents. I was always worried about somehow controlling death in yes. the universe. And I think that was, I was probably a pretty naturally morbid child, but that compounded my actual obsession with death. And I think I subsumed it in my, in my being, (laughs) you know, I wasn't, um, I was, I was pretty, um, I think probably my junior and senior year of high school is when I could most be called goth. Like if I was interested, if I could be labeled into that subculture, that's about the time that I was most that way. Um, because I was in Hawaii and I didn't have access to any other, you know, it's like, why are there so many goths in Florida? It's like, well, it's our only access to the darkness. That was us in yeah. the Appalachian mountains. Exactly. Like, yeah. what do you have to, to get you out of that? And, right. and it was, it was the beginning of, of being able to download things on the internet and I had Napster and I had, so I could like, you wow. know, we had rock over London, a weekly show yeah. on Sunday nights. That's, That's amazing. Right. We did not have internet. But I didn't, but I could download the Smiths or Depeche Mode yeah. or something. And I was finally like, I was like, Oh, I have, I have found it. It's my people. And I could go to these, we had these, goth clubs mm-hmm. you know there were like two on yeah, Oahu where I'm from yeah there were like two there was one called flesh and one called the dungeon and one called the anti-club and like they were oh, all run wow. they were all run by the same people yeah. sort of tangentially <laughs> it was a franchise and they were, yeah yeah exactly but they were all like under the in a warehouse under the viaduct by the freeway or like outside Waikiki in a little yeah. like strange hut with like copious use of dry ice like you know oh, or, yeah. like smoke oh, being wow. pumped out into the crowd yeah. um very but, you cool know feeling. it was like real I know <laughs> you listen I was 16 and this is what I had yeah this is all I had yeah. um and one was an 18 and over like S&M night which I got into constantly I don't know I feel like I wouldn't get into that now maybe laws are stricter now, but they just always let me right in. So so you were like sixteen. Or yeah, something? yeah, I was like sixteen okay. in these. In and these you, were getting, clubs. you were getting the treatment. I was you were getting, getting the treatment. Tied to an iron yeah, yeah, I was getting the treatment. It was never for me. It was never. Um, it was more performative. It was more like, look, I'm doing this cool thing. Yeah. Wait, so you'd participate in things? Yeah, yeah, oh, I would okay. participate in things. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, like every sixteen year old Hawaiian rite of passage. <laughs> You know, it's yeah. what we do there. Yeah. Did you ever um, run into an Obama? No, <laughs> yeah, while I while I was tied to an iron cross and a cl- not to my knowledge, but maybe I was blindfolded and didn't right. see it, didn't see it happening. Um, but it or was the dry ice. Yeah, or the dry ice. You know, <laughs> literal smoke got yeah. in my eyes and was blinded. Um, but That's yeah, it was it was my my parents were not supportive of this at all, but I would kind of like, I did this. I was a very good kid. Otherwise I got good grades. I was going to go to college. So they were kind of like, if I was like sleeping over at my friend's house every weekend, they were kind of just agreed, I think to not make a big deal of it. Right. Um, as long as I was 
doing well in other areas. Yeah. And I would also, you know, I was an achiever. So I was on the like uh, outrigger canoe paddling team. So I would go to one of these clubs and I would sleep in the car. Yeah, I would sleep in the car and I would get up and like put on my little board shorts and my tank top and black? go out. Not necessarily. Sometimes wow. they had like Some Hawaiian print on them. Oh, and I would go, you know, I'd like go to the like, there was a fast food place called Zippy's. And so I would go into those 24 hours and I would go to the bathroom and like wipe the like giant cat eye, you know, makeup <laughs> you off my face. Life. I led a double life. Yeah. And then I were would go a paddle. <laughs> you um, you were a no, because Who's I was. Real yeah, who is the real Caitlin? <laughs> I think well, actually, it's sort of it. It um, going to those clubs really introduced me to the idea of the like bridge and tunnel goth. You know, right, the idea yeah, that yeah. like people would uh, these guys who would be like looking crazy and have like crazy nipple piercings and like do flesh hook suspensions and stuff. And I'm like, well, what do you, man? I can't wait to be your age where I can like totally live this dark life. And they're like, yeah, I'm a vacuum salesman. <laughs> Or I'm, you know, I work at a call, alive. I work at a call center, yeah. you know, so I, but I was pretty, um, I wouldn't say that I was a poser except for the, uh, I mean, aren't we all posers, but I was pretty, I went to an all girls private school. <laughs> yeah, I'm authentic. I went to an all girls <laughs> private school, but I still like dyed my hair super black or purple. And I was, I was pretty aesthetically dark right. looking okay. the whole time. And you in were high always school. interested in this Oh yeah, yeah. Ever yeah, yeah. since maybe totally. you witnessed the death you or, or before maybe Yeah, I was always like, interested kind of in it. Child. I think I don't know. I, I think the the connection to the goth and the goth clubs is that that was just in Hawaii. That was all I was getting. Right. You know, and, yeah, it, and yeah. it was again it was there was internet, but not, there wasn't like Tumblr or it wasn't right. the kind of communities online that we have now right. to go into. So that's what I had, and I had a couple friends who were like that yeah. um, in the scene. And then when I went to college, it was much easier to be like, oh, I can study these things academically, right. and I can find okay. all of these it's other <laughs> outlets to yeah. to do this. And approach it from an academic. And approach it from an academic. And that's where I really found my comfort zone. Right. So so you graduated, and, and then you went to... Yeah, I went straight to Orchard? University of Chicago. No, I went straight to University of Chicago, okay. and that's where I did, you know, four years normal mm -hmm. medieval history degree. Mm -hmm. And I moved to San Francisco because what I thought I wanted to do was something I called macabre spectacle theater, which I had done in college. I had adapted plays. Um, I adapted short stories of Edgar Allan Poe mm -hmm. about industrialization, and I adapted... Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti, mm -hmm. and I had put up these kind of spectacle performances um, like with actors. No, 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 oh, okay. no, 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 no. I was the director, so okay, it was okay. writer director. So it okay. was um, actors and people, you know, coming in from the ceiling, and because um, uh -huh. they actually had a lot of resources for theater. It's not a well-known theater school. It's much more of an academic school, but they had really amazing resources for theater. Mm -hmm. So if you were like bold enough to be like, I propose this and this, they mm -hmm. would be like, okay, here's, you know, $3,000 to do wow. all of this. And so I had lighting designers and video designers mm -hmm. and like blood designers and all of these wow. things that I, that I need disposal. at my disposal. And I think that a lot of people who go to the University of Chicago have this experience where you're surrounded by all for the first time by all of these people who are smart just like you and like yeah. all the same things that you right. like and you have all these resources at your disposal yeah. and you're like, oh, this is life. Yeah. And Isn't it wonderful and you all... that adulthood is going to be like this? And then you graduate and you're like, 
oh, this is not what adulthood <laughs> is like. Actually, nobody wants to just hand you resources to do yeah, macabre, right. this thing you made up yeah. that you think is going <laughs> to like bring people up. closer to, to death. Yeah. You're facing their mortality through immersive theater. <laughs> you know, I, th- I thought I was going to move to San Francisco and basically do like sleep no more, like put right. on sleep no more and that someone would just give me resources to do this mm-hmm. and I get to San Francisco and obviously that's not the case. Yeah. I have to be a very low level producer and mm-hmm. you know oh, so you did that intern. for a while. and I did that for a little while and was working at coffee shops which uh-huh. I also did in college mm-hmm. and then I was planning to move to LA and I still had the same kind of dreams and thought maybe film or LA would be a better place for that somehow mm-hmm. and before I did that I was like you know what I have to get some job now I'm really going to start pursuing my career in earnest so I've always wanted to work in a funeral home, why don't I just give it a try? Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can get in there and and man, maybe I'll connect it to the theater. It's kind of theatrical when you present right. a, a whole funeral. You know, maybe there's some connection there. Maybe I'll do spectacle funerals. Maybe, you know, let me just get in there funeral and see party. what it's like. Yeah, yeah, funeral party. Let me get in there and see what it's like. Yeah. And somehow I got a job as a crematory operator, the one who is cremating the bodies. What did your parents say when you said, I'm going to Um, be a mortician? I think, well, I told them first about, my parents are very good at the slow creep of my announcements. Okay, so if you just so, came out of high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it. it's but like, you went to college. Yeah, I went to college and it's like, you yeah, know, oh, I'm going to be, well. a, I'm a political science major. Okay, I'm an, I'm an English major. Okay, I'm a medieval history major. Okay, I'm working in theater. Okay, I'm <laughs> yeah. working at a crematory. Okay, I'm going back to mortuary school. Yeah. Okay, you know, like they're just, they're very good at like, Wow. You know, I feel like I've I've stepped them down slowly yeah. into the depths of who yeah. I've become. So now they're just very I mean they they'd be cool with it regardless, but yeah. um and they've always I think it's always been clear that I'm ambitious mm-hmm. to them. So yes. I don't think there was ever a time where they were like I mean I'm their only yeah. daughter, but there was no time where it was like, "Oh, she's going to come back and live with me" or "Oh, right. she's, you know, they were actually you could just go to the University of Hawaii on full scholarship. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. You know, they were, I've always pushed myself way more okay. than they've, than they've pushed me to become anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think their idea would probably always be as long as I had a plan and I like always had a plan, you know, yeah, there was right. always a plan mm-hmm. for Caitlin. Um, so they're very supportive. Um, but yeah, I, I got this job at a crematory and it sounds very woo woo now, but mm-hmm. almost as soon as I started working there, it was like, this is it. This is what I do. Wow, this is, this is what I'm, I'm going to be this is what I'm really? going to be doing. This yeah. is my life now. Right. And and but were you thinking already of like kind of transforming um I the wa- way things yeah. were done instead yes. of Yeah. You I weren't was. very comfortable. You were comfortable there but you saw yeah. opportunity for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, I did that immediately. And at first, at first it was more the first year that I was working in the crematory, it was really more I want people to be involved by having parties and having again like the spectacle and I want yeah. fountains and I want shooting yeah. ashes off into space and I'm going to do all these cool things and that's what's going to make people feel better about death. Yeah, because I mean, I I witnessed a um, a cremation and it's where the lawnmowers are and mm-hmm. the, there's oil stains everywhere. And so when you, when you brought this up in, in your book, I was mm-hmm. thinking, you know, were you, were you thinking of transforming that whole area and the oven and yeah, everything? Yeah. Yeah. The, definitely the, the idea was to make it 
much more beautiful yeah. than it was. Yeah. And I still have some of those ideas, but what I've come to believe, or very quickly actually came to believe, is that what we're really missing is just taking some time with the dead body and showing up for the cremation and showing up for the burial and doing these simple things, not necessarily having more shit to sell yeah. as a funeral industry. Right. And you talk about having someone that you love push the button. Exactly. 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 Just, just being more involved. Yeah. And that's what I saw the first year. And I decided to go to mortuary school because I knew, so I had this plan from the beginning. I knew that if I wanted to speak out about this and mm -hmm. if I wanted to change the industry that as a young woman I actually in California could have gotten a funeral director's license mm -hmm. they have pretty good laws in California specifically about just taking having a degree in anything and taking a test to get the the license to right. be a funeral director yeah not every state is like okay. that but California happens to be but I wanted to actually go to the school and go to the mortuary school because I knew that the second I stepped out mm -hmm. and said I'm the advocate for this change mm -hmm. all of the old school funeral directors would go you right. didn't even go to mortuary school right. you didn't even train as an embalmer right. you and you know that to this day hilariously I see some of the there comments are there are your... mortuary school truthers yeah. who think that I didn't actually go yeah to mortuary school it's like yeah. what a what a lame thing to pretend that you did or like a you know what a like right. very bizarre you mortuary know mortuary school truthers yeah mortuary school oh, truthers i um yeah so i was in mortuary school and by that time i was i fully knew that i was going to do exactly what i'm doing now really and that's also, you, you had it all yes, mapped out completely and that's books also and yep yep books the order of the npr good death the order and... of the good death the order of the good death came a little bit after mortuary school, uh -huh. but I think the the sense of what I wanted to do is that I wanted to be the person to change the industry because mostly because I was my ideas are the right ideas, you know, and I have to be the one. Like, right, but if also somebody's you're on, historically, yeah, 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 you're educated yeah. and yeah, I'm you yeah know, deep in the weeds yeah, with the history and, of everything, right? And I thought. I just had this feeling that I was the one to do it. So people now will say, did you ever expect this to happen? And I think women get this more than men, that if they set out to do something, it's like, did you ever expect that you would be on NPR and writing yeah. books? Like, yes, yeah, that's what I, I set out to do. Right. That's exact. And like, isn't it wonderful yeah. that my advocacy has blossomed in the way right. I set out to do it? Right. Um, and yeah, the idea for The Order of the Good Death came after... I graduated from mortuary school, which is a year and a half, two year program. And I had moved to LA for that program and just fell in love with LA. So mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to stay there. Mm -hmm. And I got a job as a body van driver, um, which or body van driver, which is not a real title, but just the person who transported all these dead bodies um, all over Southern California. And that gave me a lot of time to think and which was perfect actually it gave me so much time to just drive with 11 dead bodies yeah. rattling in the back yeah. and think about okay if you really want to make this change and you want like now it's time for you've gone to, you've worked in the industry you've gone to mortuary school mm -hmm. if you really want to become a public advocate and start changing things how do you do that mm -hmm. and obviously social media and the internet was going to be right. a big part of that because right. that's what was 
available to me. Mm -hmm. And so I started the Order of the Good Death. And originally it was just a very simple website with me Mm -hmm. and some, honestly, just my friends, people I knew in the Mm -hmm. death industry or people Mm -hmm. that I knew who were tangentially connected to death Mm -hmm. and me writing some essays about things I had seen and done. And slowly I met more and more people who were doing the same sort of work Mm -hmm. and had started inspiring me. Mm -hmm. And as I got a little more legitimate, they were willing to, not that they weren't (laughs) willing to interact with me before because they're always been really helpful, but they're more willing to be associated with Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And because if you, if you didn't know me and I said, do you want to join the order of the good death? And you're already a little more established. You're like, um, I don't know that I really need that for my career. Thanks. Um, so it was, work for me to continue establishing myself as Mm -hmm. the person who could and I wanted to create a movement because I Mm -hmm. think if you have a movement that gets eyeballs on everyone's work and you know the rising tide raises Mm -hmm. all ships because everybody's seen as one Mm -hmm. group everyone's seen as a group of people who have this common Mm -hmm. goal to bring conversations about death and everyone's unique advocacy can be highlighted Mm -hmm. in this in this movement Mm -hmm. and but then I started Ask a Mortician, which is the web series I right. do. And that's what really kind exploded. of... Exploded. Yeah, that's what exploded. Okay. That's what gotten... Um, gotten that's what gotten <laughs> lots of views. And then I was a professional. Um, that's what... It got a lot of views right away. And it was on Jezebel. So right away it was... Yeah. It took off. The first episode, the dirty secret behind that is that my... I didn't find this out till later, but my one of my best friends in Los Angeles emailed the video as a tip to Jezebel. Oh, without me knowing uh-huh. and so she kind of launched my career wow. shout out to shout out to Mara and uh yeah and it was there it was on NPR it was on a bunch of different mm-hmm. websites and that's what kind of uh put it out there in a much bigger way wow. and that's where I got um my agent for my first book deal for mm-hmm. Smokest in Your Eyes saw me on Jezebel mm-hmm. and said hey so how have long, you ever how long before when you launched how long was the web series going before you that was you about wrote the book or got the book deal. Yeah, that's a good question. It was about let's see. Do I know the answer to this question? Yeah, I do. I think that it I put the first episode out in November of 2011 and I think it was pretty soon um, you know, probably five months or so You're that kidding. I got, got the, yeah, deal. that I got, well, I got, I got, I got an agent yeah. and then we worked on the proposal the summer of 2012 and I believe we sold it in the fall of 2012. So you had the full manuscript written? No, and no, then you no. Shot it? no. So you yeah, proposal. proposal. Yeah. Because okay. my understanding is that fiction is, is a full book that you have to have before you sell it. I've never it. done, and I've never had a full book, but oh, I know really? some people huh. do. Yeah. I think yeah. that if you're I new, mean, if you're yeah. fresh, you yeah. have to do that. Yeah. Um, but nonfiction, you can just have, you know, a couple sample chapters mm-hmm. and your platform and, right. and who you are right. and what you're trying to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing week. I flew to New York and I did this whirlwind two day series of interviews at different publishing houses. Mm-hmm. And it was really probably the most fun I've ever had in my life because it was like, and the, at one point, I think we had to go from like Penguin to Random House and we were late. So we got a pedicab. So we were doing a pedicab <laughs> across New York City. And it was like, I felt like Mary Tyler Moore or something. I was like, I've made it in the city. 
Like, go on to publisher to publisher. <laughs> yeah. It was the publisher coolest. Hopping. Yeah, it was the coolest thing I've yeah. ever done. And now I have now I have a publisher and I work with the same editor and the same team. Mm-hmm. Everyone's the same from the first to second book. And that's amazing. Yeah. But I don't know if I'll ever be as truly thrilled as, as that, that first as time. being, you know, 27 yeah. and zipping yeah, across yeah. New York and, feel, and feeling, talking to these publishing professionals who all... Not all. There were a couple meetings that we had that were definitely more like, oh, I can't wait for your wacky, like, mortician falls in love memoir, you know, kind of had a different vision. I I, I I was wondering how each house, well, you don't have to get into out. Yeah, call out each one. (laughs) Like, penguin, like this. (laughs) Little brown one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This imprint at penguin, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure they each had their own ideas of Definitely. what it should be. There was some, there, oh, I remember one, I won't say it, who it is, rhymes with Byman and Mooster, um, that, that, no, I don't, I think that this whole, these people aren't there yeah, anymore, yeah. and these are huge publishing yeah. houses, they so, obviously, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, well, that's the thing that I love about my publisher, Norton, is that everybody doesn't, everybody yeah. stays there. Yeah. Forever, I think. They're in, in for the long yeah, haul. Yeah, they're in for the long haul, which is great. We're dedicated. And to. makes me kind of, makes me want to stay there, right. too, because they're just, and I've, I've spoken to so many people. I mean, people. why wouldn't you? Your books are incredible, and they do such a great they job, They do such, right? an, they do an amazing job. Yeah. They're so, and I've talked to a lot of people who put out books, nonfiction and fiction, mm-hmm. and they say that their publishers just don't give them that much publicity or don't mm-hmm. right. help them roll the books out because mm-hmm. they have so much money. The thing about Norton is it's the biggest independent publisher. Mm-hmm. So they're careful with their money. Like yeah. if they're putting stuff out or they're putting money behind you, right. they're serious, really serious yeah, about right. you. They're invested. They're in invested yeah. in you. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if another place has the, you know, the cookbook from whatever, you yeah. know, G- the Gigi Hadid cookbook yeah. or whatever it is. Which is awesome. Yeah, which, which is an incredible book <laughs> and truly, yeah. truly, cha- truly life changing. Yeah. yeah, I'm on the Gigi Hadid cookbook yeah. diet now. Yeah. Um, but if they have that, you know, and they know that they're going to just throw money, we're going to throw money behind things and see what sticks. Yeah. I think it's harder to get publicity for smaller books and you're ending mm-hmm. up doing your own tour and, and doing right. everything yourself. Right. Um, whereas it has not been that way with Thornton at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was definitely some books, uh, some publishers that were like, you know, read the whole proposal. And there's one small part in the first book about this love obsession I had with this person that was compounded. Yeah. with Luke, that was compounded by the intensity of working in this crematory and seeing dead bodies every day and, and right. realizing that we're all going to die. Yeah. And what if I don't truly love before yeah. I die? Right. You know, it's also in my early twenties. So yeah. emotions were running high right. here. And that was a, that was a part I love about the book, but it was a relatively small part about the book. And the person, the editor that I interviewed with was hyper-focused on that and okay. how we could make yeah. that the central piece mm-hmm. of the book and how right. the narrative was really a love story right. and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and then there were some other places that were like, you know what we could really use? Just like a DIY body manual. Let's do that instead. Like, that's a great idea, but that's not what I'm proposing. Like, that's not what I'm about. Yeah. Let me ask some other people. That might be great. Um, send them, send them your way. And then being at Norton where it was all of these high up people around a big Oak table surrounded by actual books who were asking Mm -hmm. me about the history of embalming. I was like, yes, I have found. Let's talk about the civil war. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the, you know, the rise of the civil war embalmer. Um, and that made me feel, especially when you're at that point when I was 27 Mm -hmm. and, 
starting out and starting out on YouTube, basically, you know, getting, right. I'd done all these other things, but right. getting my actual break yeah. as a web series, mm-hmm. my, it was like, okay, this has to be legitimate and I don't want to lose my friendly, playful, funny tone. Cause right. that's obviously a huge part of it, right. but I'm also building up. Right. How are you legitimacy balance this? Now. And I want to, I want to go into this with the listeners about, you know, what, death positive Mm -hmm. and your whole movement. I want you to explain that. Um, And what you, you know, that you wanted, you want a sky burial, I think you mentioned. (laughs) Um, I want to, I want to talk about all that because it is serious stuff Mm -hmm. and it is important. And your funeral home, which Mm -hmm. I think you starting a funeral home is amazing to me. It really is. Um, And I want to hear all about that. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you started I mean, what 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 your beliefs are about death, and how yeah. um, the how Americans in particular treat death, and yeah. how you um, you know want sure. to change that. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny that that's the stuff that I'm always interviewed about. So yeah. I'm like, oh right, now we're doing the we're do- before yeah. we were just chatting, and now yeah. we're doing the real interview yeah. about I just the want death them to stuff. Get a taste of, yeah, of um, course. From your own- yeah, of course. Um, so I, um, as I said earlier, I came to believe that what was really important was the dead body itself and the family taking control of the dead body and being present for different parts of the death. So if your mom dies under hospice, it's not a huge emergency. You don't have to holler out of the house immediately, like get her out, move, move, move. Hey, chill, chill out, sit with her. When you're ready and you really feel like you can make a better decision about what you want Mm -hmm. to have happen, then you let her go. She's not gonna decompose immediately. We have all of these it became clearer and clearer to me how many myths we have Mm -hmm. about death and about the dead body Mm -hmm. in America. And that's what I wanted to let people know. Hey, you guys have other options. You have so many other options that are beautiful and meaningful and surprise actually end up costing you a lot less in the long run. So if we have this problem with distance from death and death costing too much, look at this incredibly simple, elegant solution Mm -hmm. we have with the family just being empowered to do more. And so after what my plan was is that when I got this book deal in 2012 is that I was going to quit my job. So at that point I had stopped being a body body van driver and was running a uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, what do we ever truly <laughs> yeah. lose that? It's like riding a bike. You just yeah. get, you get back into it anytime. I'll drive a body anywhere. Um, but I, I was working, running an office for a funeral home as a funeral director. I was the Los Angeles funeral director for this, this green cremation, quote unquote, green cremation company in Los Angeles. And uh, that's a whole nother story, but, uh, I was doing that and I worked there for about a year or so. And the plan was I had gotten this book deal. So I was going to leave my job and write this book and open a funeral home of my own which I had always wanted to do mm-hmm. from the beginning. Yeah. And turns out it's really hard to write a book and open a funeral home at yeah. the same time. Mm-hmm. So I ended up writing the book and then opening the funeral home. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was the idea from the beginning. Originally we were just going to do, I, I met a girl who had also gone to the same mortuary school that I did and her name's Amber. And originally we were just going to start by doing workshops of take care of your own dead body workshops okay. and push it forward and then somehow this always happens with me. I'm like, well, let's just file all the paperwork to actually open a funeral home. Maybe yeah. we'll use it. Maybe okay, let's set up the whole office. Yeah, I think office. that's incredible. Let's, uh, we'll that, that you did that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think that's amazing. Yeah. That you exactly. Did that. I don't. I I often look back, especially with books or the funeral home, and just like, how did that happen? 
and yeah. how did that how did you know I don't remember actually doing it it's like yeah. I'm in a fugue state yeah um and then it's it, not that I've been incredibly um you know that, that makes it sound like I'm just an incredibly hard worker and, incre- and I'm not I'm I, I can't I mean I guess I'm a hard worker but um I think it just this is my world and this is yeah. what I do and I just I I care so much about it. it yeah, the marrow well, that's myself. obvious that you care yeah. so much about yeah. it. You really do, and and the passion for it is um, when you know in all all of your works, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you yeah we opened this funeral, opened home, the funeral home and it's based on is it so a full functioning it's a full funeral? functioning funeral home. We don't. Um, it, well, full functioning is where we don't embalm. Yeah, okay. so we don't embalm. We don't offer Good. traditional burials. We don't offer things that we don't believe in, mm-hmm. basically. Right. Um, we offer uh, any kind of interaction that you want to have with the dead body. You know, mm-hmm. we'll leave it at home. Cool. Call us when you're done. Mm-hmm. Want us to come help you? We'll do that. Want to come in and dress mom or dad or shroud mm-hmm. them? Do that. Um, and then we offer witness cremations, your normal cremations, and then we offer a green burial out in Joshua Tree. So you can come out and, and have a natural burial. So there's no, like, you don't have, like, um, a relationship with someone who has a pyre or something. <laughs> oh, I wish. Or I wish can, we you, did. Can you get one in California? You can't get a, yeah, you can't Why? get an opener pyre. You can. Yeah, you I, bet, can. I bet you can. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, I mean, I do have dreams now about, I have so many dreams. I have dreams of opening my own natural burial ground. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could have a pyre on the natural yeah. on the natural well, burial I don't ground. Know why why are you talking about illegal? in your book a land trust? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is there that are land trusts. Why are, why are it's illegal. illegal. I think that people are because all death options are run by the funeral boards in individual states, and I think that funeral boards in general tend to be populated by funeral directors who intend who tend to be incredibly conservative mm-hmm. and the idea of it's not even necessarily their bottom line that I think they're always worried about I think they're worried about the lack of control right that it would like oh what if a you know Hindu funeral director or a Buddhist funeral director was able to open their own beautiful majestic pyre mm-hmm. all of a sudden that's all this control that's wrested away mm-hmm. from their industry that has a very strict bring body in, embalm body, present mm-hmm. body back right. to sell body because back to family. Because people think it's a sanitation issue they do. often, right? They do, which is not true. Right. It's the dead bodies, fine, especially if you're going to cremate it yeah. or burn it on a pyre, it's going to be especially fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, of course, there. I, I am a big believer, I guess, in deregulation at the licensing level. And then regulation at the inspection level. So I think that anybody should be able to become a funeral director. Maybe you have a pretty simple test or you have on-the-job training that you do if you want to be a certain thing, like a crematory operator Mm -hmm. or an embalmer Mm -hmm. or these sort of more specialized skills. You have training on the job, but anybody can do it. And then the inspection is for funeral homes so they're not piling up bodies somewhere. (laughs) Um, But, you know, what we found out, as we know, is that people who do the licensing and have licenses still pile up bodies. Right. You know, that's right. not stopping yeah, that's people not stopping from it. doing nefarious yeah. things. Yeah. So just let people who want to become a funeral director be funeral directors in the way they want to, mm-hmm. and then just have the same state-funded inspections right. for for consumers to know that nothing nefarious is happening with mm-hmm. their dead. Mm-hmm. Isn't that easy? Yeah. I mean, it, but like, I, I, I imagine you speaking to my grandmother who passed away mm-hmm. and we were there for her death and it was mm-hmm. amazing and beautiful. But, um, 
if you were, because she had everything planned out. Like, she wanted to be in a certain dress. She wanted to have a limo. She wanted to, you know, the whole deal. She was a funeral fly. And right. we had gone to funerals since we were right. little. So um, this is her, you know, thing. This and I just remember she... our neighbor, we lived by my grandmother, and our neighbor died, and she was a single woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she got she chose to be cremated. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I loved Long John Silvers. Mm-hmm. Did you have that in Hawaii? Yeah, I think we did, actually, yeah. You should. Yeah. Um, it was my go-to joint. And um, I just remember going to Long John Silvers with her and saying... See, that's where the crematorium is, and that's that's Betty up there. Yeah, Betty's going to be in your and chicken. And Betty's going to be in your chicken because the suit with the Long John Silvers was right, oh, right in front of the, it. Yeah, yes. in front of it. And the smoke would and come she out, was, and they wouldn't, you know, the smoke would mix. And it wasn't Catholic. But, I mean, yeah. she, well, she thought Betty was. was going to hell for being yeah, cremated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, that when people ask, do you think that people are really going to accept cremation and natural burial mm-hmm. and new technologies like mm-hmm. aquamation or water cremation. And the answer is, well, the people who are dying right now are people in their eighties and nineties and mm-hmm. they tend to be funeral flies. They right. tend to be um, older people who still really believe in the wake and, but baby yeah. boomers don't feel that same mm-hmm. way for the most part. Right. So it's going to be, the funeral industry is in trouble if it's mm-hmm. going to try and, if it's going to refuse to evolve, right, and but keep the same things. But is it evolving? Like, I mean, I just I was reading about cryonics. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go to that place in Michigan? I've never been to the cryonics place. I think I, I wonder if they would have me. I should try. You yeah, should what, try. What are you feeling? Um, pretty negative. Yeah, I'm pretty I think so. pretty negative. I mean, I try and keep a open mind on all things. Yeah. But my issue with cryonics is that. One, there's there's no proof that it works at all. We and can't so, even reanimate a kidney, no. let alone a full and body so, system. And so often, um, one, they, they charge tens of thousands of dollars for it. Yeah, yeah. some extreme amount of money. Yeah. And you're it's it's very at this point it's very snake oil salesman. Yeah, right. Because Extremely. you're charging in a huge amount of money. And even if they could reanimate you this is what i always say who's to say what the that the future is going to want you right you know i think that people have this idea of you know the movie encino man where brendan fraser comes back from the ice age and everyone's like party like we're gonna you know like we're gonna like hit up the 7-eleven and drink the slurpees and it's amazing (laughs) like i don't think that if they actually manage to reanimate my cryonically foot one i'm probably gonna have severe damage of some yeah, sort. You're gonna, yeah, you're not I'm going to be, be some zombified <laughs> version of myself <laughs> yeah. or some like, you know, shuffling yeah. version of myself. Right. And then who's to say that they're going to bring us back for good? Yeah. You know, right. like for you know, with yeah. good intentions. Right. You know, who knows yeah. what they're, there's just so many things. Yeah. The idea, I think that there's this kind of self-absorption in the idea that you're going to be reanimated and it's going to be like, oh, Mr. Felix, we're so glad to have you in the future. Let's go over everything that happened and put you up in this nice hotel and make you happy. You could be thought out in the apocalypse and that's if this works. You know, it just seems like a terrible idea to me. I went to their website and their whole life is priceless. 
Yeah, there's like a couple with the sun coming through them on the beach. Like, why would you want to give up life? And we actually, we met a girl at a cocktail party with a cryonics bracelet (laughs) in her 20s. Nice. Well, good for her. If that makes her feel better. what you have to do to her if she dies suddenly. Mm -hmm. Because you only have like 20 minutes. It's all about, and you have the first, you know, Mm -hmm. hour or so that you die. And nobody's 25 minutes now. Nobody's binded to adhere to any of it. No. The NYPD's not. Gonna, no, they're not know. going to. And and then they're, you know, they're certainly not going to like chop off your head if you've right. just paid for the head cryonics right. either. Right. You know, and they're they're going to take you they're going to take you there maybe, but there's also been cases where they find the fluid dripping from inside the machines or it gets turned on, the electricity gets cut there's off and they're no all sort of thawed. It's like this is just a weird suspended mummification that you've yeah. done it's, well, it's, it's an death. avoidance right an it avoidance is it's of an decay, avoidance of right? death yeah it absolutely um, is so you, you can download your brain now mm-hmm. and yeah they're, they're trying everything to avoid it yeah um yeah it's it's uh the funeral industry will evolve you know it's an industry like that i hope so they're they're not great they've proven not great at in evolving they just are are sticking to their guns and people want these traditional down. funerals they mm-hmm. want this embalming and the makeup and the do. hearse they do but less and less people want it mm-hmm. and they right, are like cremation yeah yeah exactly more people are, are more cremated than yeah. buried which yeah. for the first time this year this has happened and they're not ready for it and there are a lot of people who work on the laws and regulations and the you know studying that and what they believe is going to happen is that especially in rural areas or small towns the local funeral home is going to shut down and the laws aren't going to allow anybody else to come in and just open a low-cost cremation place or mm-hmm. something to replace it right and so there's not going to be a funeral home in 200 miles yeah. of where you are. So it's not going to be the big cities that suffer. It's going to be people in small mm-hmm. towns that suffer. Right. Right. And I, I think that, like, um, well, your funeral home is, I mean, are people angry at you? Um, they're not, they're you know, not. funeral directors, are they because yeah. you're trying to change things and you're trying to, to educate people on you don't have to spend $30,000 to... Show yeah. your love for right, the, you right. Know, your family. Yeah. That's not actually, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't love me for yeah. the most part. There are a lot of, you know, there are three categories. There are, are funeral directors who who do love me and love my work and are my allies. And mm-hmm. we work closely together to to change these things. Mm-hmm. There are the, the middle ground people who say, well, I think you're too mean to the funeral industry, but there are people asking for natural burials now and I want to do what's best for the family. Mm -hmm. So, all right, you're okay with me. And then there are the ones who still believe that natural burial is a, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who believe that natural burial is a hippie myth that nobody really wants. You know, Uniontown, PA, where we're from. But but our great grandparents were on ice blocks in the the home. Yeah, when you talk about actual tradition in America, it's exactly what I'm talking about. It was was to show that you were wealthy, that you could Mm -hmm. have this big funeral, that you can, you know, in a small town, it's keeping up with the Joneses, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing but your your death positive movement mm-hmm. um is all about what you tell me but it's all about um not not ignoring mm-hmm. the fact 
but you know, not whisking a body off and not yeah. seeing it decay and die and be with it and hold, you know, do whatever you, you know, you want with it within yeah. legal. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but to, exactly. To, to see it, to witness it, to, to witness live it, it. Mm-hmm. to be present, part to engage with it. Yeah, and yeah, and there's something that we're really missing is ritual. Is just the mm-hmm. physical act of doing something around death. That doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. What what's meaningful to you? Is it snipping a lock of hair from your mother's head? Is it right. doing her makeup? Is it mm-hmm. just sitting there and holding her hand? Is it putting her in her favorite scarf? Is it mm-hmm. digging her it's grave? For everyone. What I is remember, it for yeah, you? I remember when we my. Um, my grandpa's nickname used to be the Silver Fox. Mm-hmm. So we clipped his hair, and this was he had when, silver hair. Yeah, in the nineties. Yeah. And when Beautiful. he passed away, and we had lockets, and people from then on, we were the Adams family. Yeah, we were. Right. We were, I mean, that was because no one knew about hair. Right. We, we were the Adams family before that. Well, I'm <laughs> just saying it became, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of that needs to, I mean, and it's about education and you're out there and you're making entertaining videos, you're an entertaining, energetic person, you're wildly talented as a writer, Mm -hmm. Um, and it took somebody like you, I think, Mm -hmm. to penetrate that Midwest. Yeah, it's easy because there's so many people doing cool work and people will say, okay, the, the mushroom burial suit, have you heard about this? Do you yeah. really think that's going to take over? Mm-hmm. Do I really think everyone's going to be buried in a mushroom burial suit? No, mm-hmm. no, I don't. But what an amazing, cool thing that gets shared on Wired and gets shared in right. your, yeah, you know, that that's in an your local newspaper. Right and people are like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. And if you have that reaction, that's a positive reaction. Like right. that's death positivity in action. It's like, oh, you think it's, you, you're seeing an article about, decomposing your body with a mushroom suit mm-hmm. and you're like huh what do i want this sounds yeah, crazy right. this how does the mushroom work how do yes. you know so all of a sudden you're thinking about science you're thinking about the psychology you're thinking yeah. about the history of death you're thinking about what and, you want in mm-hmm. your own life it's yeah. these these gateway drugs yeah. to get people to have these conversations and to engage and there's so many people doing interesting things that if i'm out there and i'm the hype woman for it you know, it doesn't. It's not too hard to get excited. Yeah. About the stuff that's going on. Well, I just think it's really, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that people are being buried because they they feel like they want to be part of the earth, ashes to ashes. But you never really come in contact with dirt when you're <laughs> when you're buried. There's so many things, uh, you know, that how, people talk, don't understand about. You talk to somebody about like the mummies of Palermo and how they're dressed and. You know, and it's like, oh, that is, you know, that is just so morbid and horrific. And I'm like, really, you're going to get shot up with embalming fluid exactly. and have your prom yeah, What is the on? difference? When you go, when, when you go to other countries, they think the American way of embalming and death is weird. Yeah. You know, and, and I almost, I almost end up like <laughs> defending America as much as I'm like the anti-American funeral industry person, mm-hmm. you know, because I, what I want everyone to do is to have some cultural relativism and to, to say, okay, nobody throws away their dead body. Not a single culture on earth right now, uh, save some Americans, say, just get mom away. I don't want anything to do with her. I don't want anything to do with this body. Ugh, death, I right. hate it. Nobody does that. Yeah. If somebody is, the idea that somebody's mummifying their dead to be disrespectful 
and right. messed mm-hmm. up. Like, what are you thinking? Right. No, obviously, the obviously, right. they're trying to be, you know, it's a wildly respectful process that's difficult to face. It's difficult to mummify your own mother, mm-hmm. but you so believe that what you're doing is right and the, the mm-hmm. good thing to do. Yeah. That for the dead for body. the dead for the dead body yeah. and for your community for you. yeah. and for you and yeah. for everyone around you yeah. and you have this deep belief in it mm-hmm. that's beautiful and it's always yeah. beautiful and people who are doing these things are never doing it to be disrespectful yeah. and when you say oh that's so disrespectful yeah. talk about having your head up your own culture's butt you yeah. know you're just not able but, to but see I mean, they're, they're, they're going they... through a process too a, quite a mm-hmm. long process and we just you know right but is there any door. other you've traveled everywhere for this new book mm-hmm. i mean pretty much um did, did you see any evidence of capitalism like you see here that kind of controls the sure not that that controls it in the same way uh, capitalism is everywhere. It's yeah, you know, no, delightful, you universal, but not in the same way. It, it was interesting in Indonesia where um, they do have these gi- giant funerals and their dead are mummified in this very rural area. There's a part that they have these huge funerals and you have to bring a pig or you have to bring mm-hmm. a buffalo to be sacrificed right. and they have elaborate oh, the, they the have elaborate the accounting the scene in the book where the buffalo broke free yeah, yes and... there was a there was a buffalo that that had its throat sliced and ran through the crowd yeah. and oh, was it was very it was very just scary the way you explain it about how like you're just sitting there. Yeah, yeah, right. All of a sudden, there's this rampaging, bleeding buffalo yeah. come, and buffalo not like a American bison, but yeah. the ones with the giant horns, huge, yeah. huge with giant horns yeah. running into the crowd. Like, oh, it's like Pamplona, you know, like running the bulls or something. Yeah. At first, I, 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 you know, when I I read the the book jacket, and I was like, oh, you know, this I would love to see this as a documentary. You and Doctor mm-hmm. Paul Kudinar right. running around, which is in which, itself, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, when you say he showed up in, with a sheriff's badge, like, the next day. Yeah, yes. like, I love that. Yeah. The book is so amazing. But I thought, I thought wow, I wish they would have taken a camera mm-hmm. and a documentary, like, vis-a-vis, like, uh, Anthony Bourdain's mm-hmm. uh, show or The Story of God, like, a mix, yeah. like, about yeah. death around the world. It's and, such a It's such a balance because, on one hand... Yes, I think me and Dr. Paul doing a death show would be pretty hilarious and pretty interesting. But at the same time, some of the things that I witnessed and some of the are, incredibly intimate things that I saw, the idea... Yeah. And this is why you're yeah. a success. Because you're... You tr- you treat it with the utmost respect. Yeah, and you're the not, idea you're of a whole bunch of American dude yeah, bros no, you're with an cameras. Academic. Yeah. And that's why... I, I just, I think it's but you're what incredible. I was getting at, not that, but what I was getting at, like when, and then I started reading your book and I was like, oh, you don't need a camera. Mm. This yeah. is so, you, you have such a, you, you have such a vivid uh, mm-hmm. accounts mm-hmm. of everything um, that, yeah, it's, it's, it's an it's, incredible book. Yeah. A great, it's follow. a journey yeah. around the world. So uh, getting to your own burial, mm-hmm. um, well, how do, how, how do, how do I, I want it to go down? Go? Yeah. Um, you know, it's always changing. I always have a death plan that I e- update and email really to my like, friends and yes, family. Yeah, right? just let them know what's going to happen. 
Um, right now, my, my pie in the sky dream is to be eaten by animals. That's always the, the goal. And you know, we may be there by the time I die. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I, should I get more time on this planet of ours? Uh, right now though, I would just want to practice what I preach. I want to be laid out in the living room, have people stop by, film me if you want. Like if you want to people really? to under- yeah i think if i, I want people to see, people see i don't dead. particularly want people to see me dead but i know that i will be dead right and so it will not matter and i want people to see that like yeah look it's okay. it's easy and fun to hang right. around a dead body and it's not super scary and look she doesn't look terrifying yeah. and and here's her friends and family hanging out mm-hmm. um but also leave a lot of time for just my mom to sit with me if she wants or, or just my boyfriend to sit with me mm-hmm. if he wants you know and have that um, and then I want them to drive me up to the natural burial ground. That's the first one that I ever really found in Northern California. Okay. Where it's, is it? It's, it's uh, in Marin County. Okay. Uh, um, it's called Forever Fernwood. Okay. It's the same people who own Hollywood Forever in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Um, and... Quite a different scene. Quite a different scene, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they're, the the guy who runs them, Tyler Cassidy, is a somewhat controversial figure, but he's really fascinating. He's a very um, forward-thinking cemeterian. Mm-hmm. He's had like a New Yorker profile and everything. Um, and yeah, I want to go there and I want them to hang out, have a picnic, put me in the earth, straight in the ground. And that's okay. the plan for now. You know, if I get my own so natural not burial... Not cremated. No. Why? Um, I've, you know, cremation has never really appealed to me. Okay, I'm asking the you idea, for No, no, no. The <laughs> idea, that's, yeah, that's fine. I, I think that people should really just think about what makes them feel comfortable with dying. Yeah, I'm not so comfortable you, with any. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's going to be something that, you know, is the idea of like a toasty cremation chamber just yeah. zapping away yeah. me into nothingness. For me, decomposing brings me comfort. I okay. like the idea. And, of... and there's a facility that you visited in South Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what was that? That was a facility the that... Bo- the body farm. The body farm, The body yeah. farm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a body farm that they're they're working on human mm-hmm. composting. It's Katrina yeah. Spade and the Urban Death Project and working on testing to see if we can compost dead bodies. So what do you what do you tell to, to people who think this is too hippified? This is too the too the too, you know, green. Well, what we get of. into the conversation that I've been having a lot recently mm-hmm. is why are you trying to do so many eco things? Why are you trying to go for the good death and the mm-hmm. essential oils when there are so many bad deaths, when right. so few people have have access to this? Right. And my contention, and especially this is what we're trying to do with the Order of the Good Death, is rather than saying, hey, hippies, stop talking about the good death, stop having it, why aren't we figuring out what the good death is for everyone and trying to achieve that for them mm-hmm. and fighting and using our platform to make sure that more, as many people have a quote-unquote good death as possible. Mm-hmm. Whatever, the that, fact, is whatever that is for them mm-hmm. in their community, in their religion, mm-hmm. You know, by saying, you know, trans women are being killed and people of color are being killed. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a bad death. And that's Mm -hmm. horrible. We need to fight for them and fight to make sure that this isn't happening and these Mm -hmm. open death conversations are happening. We can't just say, oh, since people have bad deaths, let's not talk about good deaths. Like, no, we have to be aspirational. We have to try and do better. Right. Because that's that's how we got into the problems we're having now by not having by not being honest mm-hmm. about these disparities mm-hmm. and questions of privilege. So that's yeah. that's something that 
we've really were in, you know, in the Trump era or even 10,000 times That's more what I aware I mean, of yeah. and more and making sure that we have resources on our website and that we're commissioning pieces and, and doing videos that address these things because mm -hmm. just, I think, I think it's a totally fair to say that just talking about magical natural burials for people who die under hospice is not a good place for the movement either. It has to encompass right, all of these things mm -hmm. and all of these voices. And we have more people who want to be a part of these, the movement and say, you know, I don't feel like Black Lives Matter is represented in your movement. I don't mm -hmm. feel like these issues around, um, you know, grief are fully represented in your movement. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. That doesn't feel like a threat to me at all. It feels like we need an even bigger tent that offers more people in leadership roles with these strong voices Right. To, to make sure that people know what the death issues are in their own mm -hmm. community and mm -hmm. how we can help yeah. in some way. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're the sisters. Are they sisters or something? African-American, um, the two women who go around and find unmarked graves. Mm, um, that's incredible. Yeah, and they give them proper burials. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's probably, you know, yeah, something that's absolutely. part of the whole thing. Um, but anyway... So we could talk to you all day, and I'm sure you would. You want that? I want. Um, I just need to ask for myself because you got to ask. Okay, well, about the um, the technology of freezing the body mm -hmm. and then vibrating it. Oh, to, per permission. Because I'm in perimenopause, mm -hmm. and I go at the. I've always wanted a cremation, but the thought of even with Betty and my Long John Silver's passed. But um, thank you for adding that to the podcast. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine being put into a fire with mm. my hot flashes. So frozen now. Yeah. Well, well, the, that one, permission is the Swedish, uh, the Swedish conception, um, conception. That's not the right word. The Swedish procedure that they're working on, but that has not been fully tested yet and it hasn't come to America, but I will say I'm really excited about aquamation. I'm really excited what about water that? cremation. We don't know what that is. Water cremation is basically high heat water and um, like lye, the base chemical that kind of dissolves the body basically down to bones. It's the same thing that would happen in a cremation. Like acid? Or like no, it's not acid. It's base. Yeah. Okay. So it's the uh, on the other side of the pH scale. Okay. Um, and so it's not like you not going to ruin the planet. No, no, and no, no, no. Okay. So, so is it? So you left you with said ash? hot. Yes, you're left with ash. Yeah. So it's high heat water. Are you boiling? You're not boiling. Okay. No. So you're it's it's high heat water and this chemical and it breaks you down. It's like flash decomposition. Basically, it breaks you down to your calcium phosphate. What what would be in ashes? What would be in bones after a cremation? And the end product is pretty much the same. There's slightly more of it. So your family would still get ashes back, but your body wouldn't go into flame. It would go into water. I love water. Water's comforting. That's, I'm going to look into that. And that's what a lot of people say when, when it's, it's legal in 15 states now. It's not like it's the tangler almost, where you fall in a vat. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not like a vat of acid. It's not like a mob vat of acid type deal. Okay. Um, they've been doing, it's been used in medical schools for years, like the Mayo oh, Clinic really? and UCLA. And um, there's a lot of arguments for why it's better for the planet than cremation. Mm -hmm. And But what they found is that the eco angle isn't as appealing to people as the not fire angle, mm -hmm. as the gentler, right. I want to be in water <laughs> as opposed to fire angle. Yeah. You know, because there's so many, um, 
you know, Holocaust connections, hell connection, no matter what religion you are, there's some negative. And obviously there are religions that are deeply attracted to fire and Mm -hmm. the pyre. Um, But even those religions are attracted to the pyre. They're not really connected to To the industrial cremation machine. Um, So, yeah, I I have a lot of hope for Aquamation. You've helped me today. Yes, yeah, you've helped all of us. We've got thank a you new for way taking to the die. time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for being here. Um, thank you for your intelligence, sharing sharing your knowledge with everyone, and for this movement for everything that you do. Thank you. Yeah, thank there's you a for lot being a part of us of who are afraid to live and afraid to die, and we're stuck <laughs> in the in between. And you help panic both attacks. Of well, I think, yeah. I think it's good to hear that that you two are still in that place because oh, yeah. oh, you're yeah. you're a part of this too. Yeah, so it's it's not we're not trying to make it um, like nobody's afraid. You know, everyone in this movement is just totally chill with death. Yeah. No, it's no, a no. process. There's, Everybody's having I've been this on medication since I was fourteen. She, in this. fact, you said yesterday that you think uh, like a male thinks about sex. Yeah, she thinks I think about, about death. My own Every yeah. like what seven thirteen seconds. Yeah. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> But that's it. Seriously, I have yeah. a real. Well, that but what you're doing is you're engaging with that on and every I'm level. I'm not living. And isn't the... <laughs> I'm laying in bed. Right. But but you're but the fact medication. that you you have these conversations <laughs> and you. you think about it is yeah is better than you could. Yeah. Watch out! I'm really happy that you exist oh. for someone like me. Really, I mean, I'm you really you um are you're very important to me. Oh. Um. So what? Who was your strange lady throwback? Strange oh, woman throwback. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Um, I have so many, but the one that I was thinking of is when I was first deciding to be an advocate, I, this was probably 2000, when would this be? 2008, 2009. I found out about Gretchen Warden, who was the curator of the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia mm-hmm. for a while. And she was this incredible woman. She since died very early, unfortunately, but she would go on David Letterman and she would go on late night talk shows and she would go on radio and what year, she would like bring around, in, what year this was, was around, this I think this was around 90s and 2000s. Yeah. Oh. Um, so yeah, 90s and 2000s, I think was when she was most active and she would go and she would bring, you know, two babies fused in a jar and sit it on David Letterman's really? desk and he would, and she was just so dry and witty and funny and just never entertained that what she was doing was weird right. or creepy in any way. She was just excited about the specimen and excited to be there and so sharp that I she was... I can see Letterman's face. Yeah, like, exactly. Almost like wild ant when they would bring wild yeah. animals on. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, except it was heads yeah. in jars. Yeah. Um, and she's just such a... She, yeah, as I said, she died, um, I believe, of cancer, but really young. Mm-hmm. And it's such a shame because she was such a good I never got to meet her but she was such a good example to me of like you can be a woman and if you just people all the time say oh people think I'm morbid or I think and nobody ever really thinks that about me because I just refuse to entertain it I refuse to entertain that what I'm what I am is weird or what I am is strange I love the idea of a strange woman but but I I think that if you just believe that you were on the right side of history and Mm -hmm. you're you're doing it right and you're open to these things nobody can but, label you, you. but you're so educated. You are a mortician. Mm-hmm. You you know, you have your own funeral home. You you are jam-packed with knowledge of, mm-hmm. you know, the historical aspects of all this. So That's true. I feel like you're not a campy, you're not seen as a campy. No, no, no. I'm not, but but you're it's an also academic. Yes, but anybody who has I feel terrible for anyone whose family is making them feel bad yes, or feel yeah, weird yeah. or feel 
Um, and I love you dedicated the book this new book to your oh, parents. Yes, and to my parents who said. let me be weird. Yeah, yeah who yeah. let all the weird kids be weird. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have parents like that, just know that there's a whole movement that's behind you and there's a whole group of people yeah. who don't think that you're weird at all. And in yeah. fact, think that you are on the right side of history and you're yeah. doing good for us all. Yeah. Or you could, you know, at 15, steal a car and move to New York City like we did. So. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, embrace your weirdness. I don't want to take away your weirdness yeah. and your morbidity. Let's celebrate oh, sure. that. Let's celebrate that. But uh, but if it, if it gets to a point where you genuinely feel bad about yourself. Yeah, I think it's great. Your weird, your weirdness, you should revel in your morbidity and I, your weirdness. I, I, and other yeah, people should too. For preparing to meet you, um, <laughs> I was looking up statistics on women and the funeral and mortuary enrolled in mortuary school and i was shocked because in the 70s it was like 300 to 2000 and our cousin went to she was a female and she went hmm. to mortuary the only school. one in our town the wow. only and she woman. was tortured i mean they used to uh. say can you denise can you pick up the head of the cadaver and they would have sliced it off mm. you know, and she so would pick she, up the head she was you know. bullied yeah. yeah big time oh that's awful and then seeing you know and and it's a testament to people like you and Gretchen and, and everybody that in 2000, there are more women enrolled yeah. in mm -hmm. mortuary school than there are men. So it's definitely. Sure are. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a feminist movement. It is. hundred yeah, percent. It yeah. It's hundred percent. Yeah. Especially in a world where you have to look at Twitter to see if science still exists in the morning. And you <laughs> yeah. know, it's, it's yeah. just, it is revolutionary and, yeah. and you are very important. And we're I like the end of this podcast where you, you just are so really much. nice to your guests. <laughs> this, this is my favorite part. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.